0: It's Monday, June 12th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the indictment of former US President Donald Trump is out. I've got the facts and data, and we are going to make sense of it all just a little bit later. Second, an update for you on the China spy station report that I gave you on Friday. The rumors are true, folks. Beijing has an operational signals intelligence base on the island of Cuba. Third, some good news for you and your wallet. It has to do with propane prices. Later, we close out the podcast with a remarkable story from a country that we spoke of last week. That's Colombia. Four children have managed to survive 40 days in the jungle after a plane crashed, carrying them and their mother. So we're going to talk about the kids, including an infant that was just 10 months old. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. On Friday, the indictment against former U.S. President Donald Trump was released earlier than expected, but it covered largely what we anticipated. 49 pages of allegations that Mr. Trump mishandled classified materials at his residence in Florida. So all in all, he's facing 37 counts of charges related to the willful retention of national defense information, plus withholding government records, making false statements, and conspiracy to obstruct justice. But I'll tell you, that indictment did not seem to faze Mr. Trump. He spent Friday and the weekend golfing and making speeches blasting the Department of Justice, or DOJ, for what he called a political witch hunt, and quote, the demented persecution of our MAGA movement, end quote. Meanwhile, snap polls over the weekend showed that American voters are not much phased by this indictment, at least not Mr. Trump's supporters. A poll by ABC News taken after the indictment on Friday showed that 76% of Republicans view these charges as politically motivated. Independents, they're evenly split or not sure. As for Democrats, as you would imagine, upwards of 80% believe that Trump's behavior represents a national security risk. Interestingly, GOP voters still strongly prefer him to his main primary opponent. That, of course, is Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. Another poll taken from CBS News showed that Trump is still at 61 percent of his uh, previous support, while DeSantis is trailing him at 23 percent. But wherever you stand on this indictment, let's actually take a minute or two to unpack the charges. Right. And we're going to do so based on reporting from The Wall Street Journal, The Hill, Reuters News Service, and the fact-checking group PolitiFact. And let's start with this. Of the 37 criminal counts against Trump, 31 relate to his mishandling of government documents. And the charge is that he violated something called the Espionage Act. And that is a law that was passed over 100 years ago, well before documents were even classified by the government. But the obvious goal of this law is to prosecute people who mishandle sensitive government records, specifically those documents or materials connected to what the law calls the, quote, national defense, end quote. Now, what's key here is that the Espionage Act doesn't actually require that the materials or the records be classified, rather just harmful to U.S. national security interests if they are disclosed. And here is why that is so controversial in this case. Under the Constitution, the president has ultimate discretion around sharing government secrets. He or she can share that information as they would like. Now, to be clear, that is not true of anyone else in government. Not the vice president, not a secretary of state, and not a CIA officer. Only the president. Now, for some people, that might be a little bit hard to believe, but it is true, and it's based on a ruling by the Supreme Court back in 1988 in a case called the Department of the Navy versus Egan. And here is the critical part of that ruling. Quote, the president, after all, is the commander in chief of the Army and the Navy of the United States, according to Article 2 of the Constitution. His authority to classify and control access to information bearing on national security flows primarily from this constitutional investment of power in the president and exists quite apart from any explicit congressional grant, end quote. right, so that is why the president can't declassify or share anything they'd like. Now, to be clear, they can follow, you know, internal processes or rules around classification or declassification if they'd like, but it's not constitutionally required. Now, there are... Two, shall we say, caveats, right? First, a president can only declassify or share these sensitive things about national defense while they are president, right? They can't do it after the fact when they're a civilian. Second, just because a president can declassify or share something doesn't mean that they should or that they're right in their belief that when they do, it won't harm U.S. national security. Now, that is a political question. That's an opinion, not an, an legal issue. More on that when we close out this segment. But let's first talk about the, the initial piece regarding the fact that you can't declassify stuff once you are no longer president. So in the indictment against Mr. Trump, it says that he was speaking with a staffer and a publisher regarding an upcoming book that they were working on. And during that recorded conversation, Mr. Trump allegedly flagged a document that apparently laid out what the U.S. military might do or how they would respond in the event of a war with a country that, well, it's China, right? And to paraphrase what allegedly Mr. Trump said, right, the former president said that he knew there was a problem sharing and talking about this document because, quote, see, as president, I could have declassified it. Now I can't but this is still a secret, end quote. To which his staffer replied, quote, yeah, now we have a problem, end quote. Well, then Mr. Trump allegedly shared the document regardless, including with people who had no clearances or any need to know. Moreover, the document was not stored in a secured facility, which is known as a skiff. Now, to be clear, this is what the DOJ is alleging this morning. And they claim that they have recordings of Mr. Trump saying this, and that might be true. We shall see. But Mr. Trump and his team have long argued that whatever documents he had, he declassified them while president. All right. So there's obviously debate if that's true, but just for argument's sake, let's assume that Mr. Trump actually did declassify all of those documents while he was president. Even still, There are remaining charges beyond the Espionage Act and they have to do with making false statements and conspiracy to obstruct justice, right? And that's based on the Department of Justice having sworn statements and testimony from Mr. Trump's staffers and even his attorney, who was forced by the DOJ to break attorney client privileges. And it is based on those statements and all that testimony that the DOJ makes the ultimate case that Mr. Trump engaged in unlawful shenanigans, shall we say, to avoid cooperating with or turning over documents to the government. So let's talk about those shenanigans. So for instance, he allegedly directed or suggested that his staffers and his attorney either hide documents, destroy documents, or to simply pretend that all the documents that used to belong to the government were already turned over to the government when they previously requested those documents. And because of that, the Department of Justice is alleging that Mr. Trump fundamentally knew that he had taken national defense material when he shouldn't have. He knew that he had failed to declassify it when he was president. And that is why he was obstructing and making false statements. He didn't want to get in trouble. Now, as you would expect, Mr. Trump and his legal team reject that assertion by the Department of Justice, and indeed, they plan to fight the indictment. And that fight, of course, started over the weekend with all those speeches, and it's going to ramp up tomorrow when Mr. Trump reports to a federal courthouse in Miami at 3 p.m. local. So, folks, that is the heart of what we know this morning. With that, let me now pivot to opinion and analysis, and let me just say, whoo, my goodness, there is a lot of that going around right now. In fact, I think if you ask... 10 lawyers, what they think, you're going to get at least 15 opinions. And you will if you watch TV or you read analysis online. But actually, I think that's the interesting point as of this Monday morning, right? This case is engendering a lot of debate, a legal debate, because there are some very serious and unsettled constitutional questions. So first, we have that 1988 Supreme Court case of the Navy versus Egan. Right. And that establishes that the president is constitutionally and legally unique. Right. The president can declassify and share what they want when they want. And that includes just speaking the material as an example of that. Let's say a president shares classified material with a foreign leader during a meeting because they're discussing matters of war and peace. Well, I think we would all say that the Supreme Court would probably rule that the president was within their constitutional duty to, to do so, even though they didn't go through some sort of formal declassification process. Okay, but what about other scenarios, less compelling scenarios, such as it's a president's last day in office, they're you know loading up the U-Haul, and they point to boxes of material, including classified material, and say... All of that is unclassified. Now, I don't know if Trump did that or not, or if his attorneys will use that defense or not. But here's the thing. Even in that case, courts have given the president wide latitude to uh, declassify or control government material that perhaps the rest of us would say, don't do that, it should be protected. But ultimately, it's their call as president. And that means that the Department of Justice folks is choosing to prosecute this case using the Espionage Act on some pretty constitutionally thin ice, right? They're effectively challenging the 1988 Supreme Court precedent. So, why? Why are they pushing the envelope here? Well, let's take the most charitable first view of the Department of Justice and their motivations, right? They allege. That they have audio recordings and sworn testimony that show Trump did not declassify this material, and he knew that holding on to it or sharing it was unlawful, demonstrated by the fact that he was trying to hide his unlawfulness. All right, so that's the most charitable view of the DOJ's decision. Which leaves us, well, with the less charitable view, and that is this: the DOJ and the FBI. Have for years now unlawfully targeted Donald Trump with bogus investigations and, on occasion, doctoring evidence. Right. The most infamous example of this was during the years-long Trump Russia investigation. So, to a reasonable person, that calls into doubt the DOG's case. Right. We don't know whether or not we should be charitable with these guys, because if they were unlawful with Trump once before is it really outlandish to think that they would do it again? Well, as you wrestle with that question and the facts and data as I've presented them this morning, I'm going to offer you this one final piece of opinion and counsel. Folks, we just should not take classified material home with us. We should not be like Hillary Clinton and put it on our homebrew servers, right? We, we shouldn't be like Joe Biden and put it in a, a tote next to our Corvette in the garage. And even if we're Trump, and we're president, and we have the constitutional authority to declassify and share stuff, or maybe even throw it in u U-Haul, just don't. It just gives too many people too many reasons to try to destroy your life, especially those corrupt officials at the Department of Justice and the FBI. Additionally, I got to say, as a former CIA officer, if you just sort of willy-nilly share classified or sensitive material, You run the risk of damaging America's national security, even if you think you're not. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners. With one quick reminder, folks, if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or a service, then I don't endorse it. Instead, it's a message coming to you actually from your podcast platform based on who they think you are. We'll be right back. Folks, there are two things that I speak a lot about on The Right Report. First, we live in a troubled world, especially with China and the prospect of war with Beijing. Second, I talk about America's obesity crisis and how important it is to find ways to exercise and eat well. Thankfully, I've got a solution for both. ArcSeedKits.com, a provider of high-quality heirloom seeds that give you food security and a healthy body. Now, some of you have asked me, Brian, why should I pay a premium for heirloom seeds when I can buy cheaper stuff from online outlets or big box stores? Well, Arc Seed Kits give you the type of seeds that our grandparents had, right? You can save seeds from each year's garden crop and replant them year after year. Plus, Arc Seed Kits have all of the variety you need, folks. Listen to this. Six types of beans, four types of squash, seven tomatoes, two corn, two peas, whew, Don't even get me started on the root crops, like beets and rutabaga and carrots. So all in all, we're talking about 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables. And here's the best part. These seeds come from a family-owned farm in northern Michigan. No mystery seeds that you might get from an online or big box store. So do yourself a favor and buy the all-in-one seed kit. Go to arcseedkits.com. That's ark, like Noah's ark, Arcseedkits.com. Enter WRITE as a promo code, that is W-R-I-G-H-T, and you will get 10% off your order. So be prepared and invest in food security. Go to arcseedkits.com today. Welcome back to the Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a series of updates from previous Right Reports. First up, last Friday I told you about news that China had established a spy base on the island of Cuba. To refresh our memories, Beijing allegedly was giving Havana several billion dollars for the right to build or refurbish or rent what is called a listening post. In other words, it's a base that collects things like cell phone calls and text messages, emails and satellite communications that is known as SIGINT or signals intelligence in the world of spies. Well, the White House and the Pentagon on Friday both vigorously denied those reports. Leaders in Havana and Beijing both denied the reports too. Well, as it turns out, all of those people were lying to us. In fact, the White House is now admitting that China does have a SIGINT collection platform in Cuba, likely focused on our military bases in Florida and the American Southeast. So here's the latest as reported by the media outlets Politico, Wall Street Journal, and the New York Post. An anonymous Biden official confirmed that, yes, China has an intel collection post on Cuba and has since the year 2019. However, the official left out details as to what that collection post was like before 2019 or if there have been upgrades since then, namely since Mr. Biden took office. That said, Biden's team is absolutely aware of this Chinese spy base and has used, quote, diplomatic efforts to stop or slow it, end quote. Well, if you're wondering if those efforts are working or not, here is your answer, quote, we think that the Chinese aren't quite where they had hoped they would be. We assess that while the PRC, China, will keep trying to enhance its presence in Cuba, we will keep working to disrupt it, end quote. Okay, there you have it. A pretty remarkable change of heart from Friday, Friday. When uh, the spokesman for Joe Biden, uh, John Kirby, called the report of a Chinese spy base in Cuba, quote, inaccurate, end quote. By the way, that change of heart caused some bipartisan heartburn over the weekend. As Democrat Representative Richie Torres of New York delicately put it, (laughs) the news, he said, is, quote, sufficiently plausible to merit congressional oversight, end quote. Yes, indeed. Indeed. With that, let me now pivot briefly to analysis and opinion. So I'm going to share this as a former CIA officer who knows this threat well, folks. It is so very hard to overstate the strength of China's position globally right now, from their control of key minerals to control of computer chips and pharmaceuticals to their control of foreign governments using things like debt trap diplomacy or just some good old fashioned bribery. And this news really drives home the point of the, the depth and the reach of that strength. Right? They're putting spy boots on the ground right at America's doorstep. And that's fundamentally because they're not afraid of us. Right? They're not afraid, ladies and gentlemen, because they think we're weak. And that's bad. right? And that is not going to change until you have leadership in the White House that demonstrates to China that we are strong and we are not to be messed with. With that, let's shift gears. Let's talk about some positive news, shall we? Two pieces of good news overall. First, let's talk about your pocketbooks. If you're planning to fire up the barbecue this summer with propane, or really use propane for a host of things, it's not going to cost you as much as it has in past years. As reported by the Wall Street Journal on Friday, propane costs are about 50% less than where they were one year ago put some numbers to that propane was about 60 cents a gallon this past week at the main trading hub in texas meanwhile in kansas it hit 58 cents at the market there which by the way influences what a lot of farmers pay for their propane better yet folks these low prices look to be shall i say sticky in other words lasting through at least the fall and winter and that's because as of this moment domestic propane stocks are 44 percent higher than as compared to this time last year and that's all because of strong production coming out of the states of Texas and New Mexico. So enjoy the savings, folks, because, well, if you're grilling with this propane, you're going to be putting any savings you get probably into the meat you buy, at least if you're grilling beef. According to uh, analysts with the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the ag lender Bank, they both said that retail prices for beef are probably going to start pushing higher later this summer and into the fall all because of lower herd numbers in the U.S. plus increasing costs to feed those herds. So stock up now, folks. That's the message that I'm seeing. With that, let's take our final break of the morning with one more piece of good news before I let you go. As ever, if you hear ads coming up that don't have my voice, I do not endorse that product, service, or company. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more piece of good news before I let you go. And this is actually some great news, incredible stuff. Four children survived a plane crash in the country of Colombia. It's a country we discussed late last week about their political troubles, but pushing that aside for now, folks, my goodness, these four children, including a 10-month-old baby, had been missing for 40 days after their plane crashed in the jungle, and yet they survived. Over the weekend, they were found. So here is that incredible story to start off our week with some hope and praise as reported by CBS News, the French media outlet AFP and the Arab outlet Al Jazeera. So back on May 1st, the four children were traveling with their mother, another adult passenger and a pilot. The family was part of an indigenous tribe in Colombia. Sadly, the plane suffered from some sort of engine loss and the pilot radioed for help but a very short time later, the plane vanished from radar. Now, the Colombian government immediately launched a rescue mission, but it proved very tough to find the plane in the jungle. In fact, it took them two weeks to locate it. Well, as we now know, the pilot and the adult passenger died immediately or just after the crash. The mother, however, survived the initial impact, although badly injured. The the kids incredibly were fine. For four days the kids remained with their mother, who, as the father now says, she probably recognized that she was about to die. So she told the children to leave and to find help. And so they did. The kids were aged 13, 9, 4, and 10 months old. Right, That was over 40 days ago. As they wandered through the jungle, rescuers found a few encouraging signs that they were still alive. There was a a lost shoe. There was a a baby's bottle. Indeed, they conducted flights at night. Uh, They used flares and a loudspeaker with their grandmother's voice on a recording telling them to take shelter and stay in one place. But the kids didn't hear the message. Instead, they kept walking, managing to stay alive by eating seeds and roots and plants that they knew were edible thanks to their upbringing with their indigenous family, especially their grandmother. And then on Saturday... A military tracker found them 40 days after the plane crashed. They were gaunt and thirsty and tired, but they were alive. Apparently the eldest child who was age 13 had taken charge and led the other children throughout the entire ordeal. That is according to family members. The children are now all recovering at a Columbian hospital, though the uncle uh, that is involved says that they're quite tired of laying down in the hospital beds. They want to get up, specifically to ask for some new shoes. And that is because apparently they would like to play a game of soccer. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.